Hello, welcome back to Video Games Industry People in conjunction now with GameDevHeroes.co. They talk to uh, developers and unearth sort of different stories in the uh, games industry. Today I'm talking to Adam Campbell. He is uh, managing games at Azumi. He has a, an extensive background in in managing games in general and uh, is a champion of BAME. So have a good listen and see you on the other side. Here with Adam Campbell, come all the way from Bromley. She's a commitment to the podcast. <laughs> um, so Adam, you are currently at Azumi. That's right. And you also sit on as the vice chair, is it, of BAME? Yeah, that's correct. So you're really inserted hard into the into the BAME Indeed. network. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, I've actually worked in games for nearly 10 years now myself. Okay, so yeah. So my first job was all the way back in 2009 when I was still almost a kid, really. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I mean, fast forward to today, I'm managing games for a kids entertainment startup. I'm also vice chair at Baming Games, which is actually the first organisation in the UK dedicated to increasing BAME representation. Right, yeah. I've had a couple of people, um, Jade uh, Wasabi, I don't know if you know. Yeah, her. yeah. Um, and, uh, but, so with Azumi, this is the, how long have they been going? So Azumi's been around for about three years now. Okay. And the app was initially launched in 2016. Yeah. So um, our app's available on all major app stores, so okay. Google Play, Amazon, um, iOS. Yeah. yeah. And um, we've actually launched as an exclusive entertainment partner with O2. So oh, our wow. app's actually bundled with their kids' tablets. That's cool. So um, we've got many distribution channels for our products at the moment. Yeah. Um, and we're branching out further. So we now have an Amazon Prime channel. So wow. you can watch kids' TV shows there. Yeah. Um, and we're looking at new partners to work with as well. So watch this space. So that's, that's all come about in just the last three years. Exactly, yeah. Our founders, Douglas and Estelle Lloyd, um, so they actually come from a banking background. Right. And um, they're actually parents of three young daughters. Yeah. And the idea of a um, safe haven for kids was basically... Um, surrounding the fact that their kids are obviously online as most kids are today mm. and they wanted to prevent them from exposing um i guess suspect material online which is a big risk for kids at the moment of course yeah. so um, they came up with the idea of actually making a safe haven for kids yeah azumi actually roughly translates to safe haven um it's based on the japanese word oh yeah. right okay that's right yeah yeah because the internet is literally like Dropping a five-year-old off in the middle of Soho. That's right. Yeah, they they, they can do that, and, and, but you can do it on the internet. And That's so, true. Yeah, because it's so accessible. So yeah, yeah this this is a great way to do it. So this is primarily what what ages are the games? Uh, so I mean, we have quite a broad range of users. Our core audience is, I guess, around six to eleven. Mm. Um, but we have kids as young as three playing. We have kids as old as thirteen playing our app. Okay. We have hundreds of games and kids' TV shows, so there's something for everyone, really. So, uh, I, I mean, I, I looked at Zoom and I saw the range of mm -hmm. games. I don't know how they work. Do you basically, are you like an umbrella for lots of studios to submit their games to? Or you, de you don't develop all these games in-house, do you? So, no. So, actually, most of our games are licensed from third parties. Mm -hmm. um, some of those are publishers who, I guess, bring together loads of games developed by different people. Okay. Some of those games we get directly from indie developers. And then about 10% of our games are based on our own IP. So okay. we do actually do some co-productions and commission content as well. 
and all of our games are HTML5, so we can stream them instantly to the app. Right, right. The 10% are, are you saying about, in-house? About 10% are ours, yeah. They're, they're so okay. a mixture of sources. So we've had some internal development. Um, we've had external development with some like production partners yeah. um, based in the UK as well. So you're becoming like the Netflix of kids' games? Exactly, yes. So we're like the Netflix for kids, but I guess we want to be so much more. Because if you think about a lot of entertainment or streaming platforms, they yeah. usually focus on one thing. Okay. And while Zazumi itself actually started off as more of a video service, mm. we found a way to combine multiple forms of content and entertainment to, I guess, keep up with the digital age for kids. Yeah. So they don't just want to watch um, videos and TV shows. They also want to play games, which is the biggest entertainment industry in the UK. Yeah. Um, and they also want to chat with their friends. So we've actually built in that technology too. Ah, right, so you've got, you've got a chat app. That's right. Yeah. Zoom chat. All built in, correct. Yeah. Okay. And it's um, based on the friend code system, so yeah, um, there are no strangers involved at all. Okay. So when when you um, do you actively source games, um, or do you now have people just submitting stuff? That's right. Um, so actually, we do get um, a lot of submissions from developers who contact us because yeah. um, Azum is becoming a bit better known now um, after a few years. Um, developers know that we publish games to a great audience. Okay. So um, we get some submissions from different people. Yeah. Um, but actually a big part of my role is actively sourcing um, developers who can provide content for us. So um, I'll be at various games conferences. Um, I'll be contacting studios from across the world and um, onboarding that content to our platform. Okay. Okay. So what, what's your exact role called? Uh, so, so my full role is um, game acquisition and production manager. Right. Okay. So um, I deal with all um, onboarding of content from third party developers. Yeah. Um, I'll do license agreements with developers. Um, I'll organize internal testing. Um, and I even do some project management for anything that we commission ourselves. Wow, it's a full-on role. It is, yeah. I guess it's bringing together all of the things that I've done over the years. So yeah, I'm yeah, <laughs> because it's a startup, obviously. That's right. At startups, people do lots of different roles. Yeah, that's true. When was it moved from a startup to a, a not? Because it's three years is... Well, I'll say that we're still in startup status. Okay. Um, rapidly growing. Yeah. Um, we've actually recently signed a special partnership with Vodafone. Oh, wow. Um, so they're actually our innovation partner. They're going to help accelerate our company, yeah. um, get us into more territories across the world. So even though we're still small, I mean, we've got around 15 people internally mm. um, and we're obviously building up our revenue stream. Uh, we are growing and I guess it's a good question. When does a startup become a, like <laughs> not a, a non, startup? A non-startup. What, <laughs> what is a non-startup term? Just like a business. Exactly. I mean, I think in a way the lines are starting to blur. I mean, I've yeah. seen some startup companies have been in startup mode for seven years plus and wow. they're still going but um, I guess that just shows how our industry is changing which yeah. used to be about usually the big AAA companies um, and now we have many small companies doing awesome things That's, which is a good thing yeah. it is because I mean no one, no one has power and everyone is kind of responsible for their own little bit and, and people will gravitate towards the things they like that's true and it gives people more choice as well that's right um, but you guys like you've got Vodafone deal you've got Amazon deal yep O2 O2 you're um, even EasyJet <laughs> so no way. some of our own IP is now on in-flight entertainment that's amazing and I, I think that shows 
It shows the power of a great idea. Yeah. Um, it shows the power of digital and new distribution models. Yeah. There's almost nowhere that we couldn't possibly distribute either our app or our content or our technology even. So no. there's so many opportunities now. How, how have you even got into these places? Is, is, it, is it like your banking guys have just got no all the right people? <laughs> well, I've got to say, I mean, um, our founders are really fantastic business people. Okay. Um, they're great at finding new connections. Um, they're very financially savvy. So obviously trying to sustain a company doing so many different amazing things. Mm. Um, we've had some fantastic friends and introduction, introductions to different partners as well. Okay. Um, but, you know, it's kind of like very intense. It's constant, you know, finding people and um, yeah. making deals and flying to different countries. So, um, I mean, credit to them for all the business that they do. Okay. And um, even though I'm working on what's the segment of the app, which is the games, mm. that is a very important part of our business. Of course, so um, yeah. it's where most of the users are spending their time. Yeah. Yeah. That That is your main focus, I imagine. That's right. Yeah. Expanding that game base and, and stuff. So um, do you do you go to the shows and stuff and just look look for other games that aren't suitable I do. for your platform? So, I mean, the majority of games, um, I tend to find actually searching on the internet because the internet connects so many, you know, studios to um, people like us at Azumi. So that's a very quick way to find new developers. But um, I do go to different game shows. Um, this year I've been to a few already. I've mm. been to Pocket Gamer, um, Games Forum, yeah. um, EGX, so they're like London-based events. Um, I'll also be going to Casual Connect next week. Okay. So there's a lot of events in London itself yeah. um, to find new developers and make new partnerships. Okay. Have you seen the game BFF or Die? I have. Wait, does that fit in with your platform? Um, Possibly not. I think so. One of the things about our app is that we we tend to take really kind of like small casual games. I see. Yeah, because they're all based on HTML5. Yeah, um, they're games which you can stream instantly. So, um, right. I guess in a way we've got there's a lot of kind of connection to um, the portals of old, but okay. we're kind of bringing that into more of an app ecosystem now. So um, you can play your games offline. You don't have right. to have an internet connection once right, you played right. them. Um, and we're also, I guess we have some connection to the whole wave of new instant games on Facebook. Mm. So that's kind of a, a way that HTML5 is making a resurgence in the industry too. So that, so it's, it's basically almost like low maintenance games exactly. that you can yeah. just whack up there. That's right. They work, people play them. Correct. Yeah. And, and how, how long do you keep the games up? Do you, do they have a life? So the vast majority of our games we keep on the platform indefinitely. Oh, right. So the great thing for our users is that they have a huge library of games. Mm. Um, you know, there's probably more than 100 games in our library now. Okay. Um, but we constantly cycle the content. We have at least two new game releases every week. Okay. Um, and we, you know, obviously re-promote content which has been popular to different users so they can see it again. Yeah. That's a, that's a that's a big database that you're building up. It two is a definitely, week. yeah, definitely. And um, you know, even though our games are kind of like casual web style games, they do vary massively. Um, some of our games have quite a lot of depth, and um, you know, there's one adventure game which has 36 levels that uses some really interesting physics-based puzzle mechanics. Mm -hmm. uh, we have some really nice 3D games. Yeah. Um, we have side scrollers. We have racing games. We have puzzles. Any genre of game you can think of, we've we've kind of got in a library. Are you, are you playing any of them yourself? Sometimes I do get a bit addicted to games. Yeah. <laughs> um, so one one of the games that we actually released last year is called Grand Prix Hero. Okay. Um, and it's a really cool racing game, and yeah. um, I was a bit addicted to it, and I still play it sometimes. Oh, I think it's a bash. 
Do, do, um, I don't know. Is it, how much is it to subscribe on? on, on the so it's a four ninety nine a month subscription. Five pound a month. Yeah, exactly. And you can play whatever you like. Yeah. You've got your chat. So you get your chat. You get um, hundreds of TV shows. Um, okay. So popular shows like Alvin, but other interesting shows like Marvelous Makes. Okay. You have the hundred games library, hundred plus games even new yeah. games every week. So parents can just subscribe for their kids. Mm. They constantly get a stream of new content. Um, it's an alternative to having to necessarily spend a lot of money on games individually. Yeah. Um, there are no, no adverts, no in-app purchases, so you yes. don't have to worry about that either. That's great. What a great idea. It's going yeah, I think there's definitely, there's definitely a space in the market for that type of product, um, mm. as other services have shown, obviously. Because mm. you're, you're like, uh, I was reading, I found you by the sort of 100 Rising Stars right, yeah. article. What, do you know what got you in that? Was it was it the Izumi stuff or? Well, I mean, it's by recommendation, um, okay. so recommendational application. So, um, so yeah, I mean, so many people do amazing things in the in the industry, yeah. and um, it's actually nice to be recognised on a list like that as well. Because obviously, I've been in games for a while now. Yes, you you um, were inspired by your Dreamcast. I, I was, yeah. <laughs> so, um, I mean, everyone has a story about what got them into games. Yeah. Um, Sometimes it's a bit more boring, sometimes it's really interesting, but yeah. for me it's very specific. Right. So um, I was always a bit of a gamer when I was a kid, Yeah. but um, it's when I was 11 years old I got the Dreamcast. Okay. And I think it was this kind of moment where consoles were starting to express game worlds and characters in ways we'd never seen before. Mm. Um, and there's one particular game as well called Shenmue. Oh, which is actually yes, making, yes, which is actually making a comeback. Oh, is it? Yeah, it is, amazingly. Um, it's now going to be re-released as a HD collection, uh, and then Shenmue 3 is going to be out next year, which okay. people have been waiting for for about 15 years now, <laughs> after it was originally cancelled, which is crazy. Yeah. But um, it's kind of like, when you see the mixture of art, um, innovative gameplay mechanics, um, graphics, animation, motion capture, voice acting, all of these things came together and I started to see games in a different light and I thought, you know, there there's definitely something in there for me that I could get involved in. Yeah. And there you are, mate. I am, yeah. <laughs> I played uh, uh, one of the other games you sent me, Man, Man or Beast. Man or Monster, yeah. Man or Monster. That's right, yeah. That's fun, that, being the monster and just smashing stuff up. Yeah, that's um, a particularly, um, that's a game I'm particularly proud of. Okay. Yeah, so... Um, I was working for Miniclip, um, so that was between 2013 and 2015. Right. Um, it was actually my first producer job, so I joined there as an associate producer. Okay. And Miniclip, as you may know, is a, a very popular games website. Yeah. Um, it's now become a really big mobile games publisher too. Okay. So we had around 50 million monthly active users, and it was effectively our job to make sure that you had the best game experiences for our audience. So um, I did a lot of lot of games acquisition, quite a lot of what I'm doing now, effectively. Yeah. Um, and Man on Monster was a game that I actually had the opportunity to produce. So it was the first game that I produced end-to-end, -end, yes. um, working with an external production partner in um, the Netherlands called x Games. Okay. And um, to my surprise, and theirs as well, it actually won an award. Oh, wow. So um, it was the Dutch, cool. Dutch Game Award winner for Best Browser Game. Okay. And um, yeah, I mean, the audience absolutely loved it. And I'm really proud of that. No, it's fun. It's great that you can just like play it on just the exactly. thing. You just go yeah. to the website. Yeah, I mean, I when I when I was um, working with the studio to come up with this idea, I really wanted to have a kind of console game in a browser experience. Mm. So, so many of our users um, on Miniclip didn't even have games consoles at home because I guess the desktop PC is a 
I guess, a window into the world that everyone has. Yes. So when it comes to the games experience, what is the best possible experience we can make in a browser? Mm. And um, that's one of the things we wanted to achieve with Final Monster. So it has fairly advanced graphics for a web game. Yeah. It has great destruction physics. It's got multiple levels. Um, and there are a lot of technical challenges to actually getting such a game to work so well in a browser um, and some technology changes that happened over the years. Yes. So the original plugin that it was made in, which was called Unity Web Player, okay. that actually was, um, that stopped working in browsers because um, various browser companies came together to start to kill the plugin effectively. And that's where we moved into HTML5 games. So that game was ported to HTML5. Um, and then a couple of years later, what we made for the browser was actually brought to Steam. So now it's a, it's kind of like a fully fledged download game too. Oh, right. Okay. Yeah. So you, you can get it. Do you, you put, you pay, you just do it via Steam. That's right. Okay. Yeah. Ah, okay. And then, uh, but in between that, you were at, um, remind me of the name of the company, beginning with H. Hopster. Hopster. That's right. And yeah. that's more kids games, isn't it? It is. Yeah. So Hopster is another kids entertainment startup. So, Compared to Zoomy, where we're focusing on the primary school audience, they're mm. more preschool. Okay. So I guess we're talking two to five years old. Right. And um, again, I think parents and kids demand an environment where they can have fun. They're safe from adverts, you know, yeah. nasties of the internet and so on. Um, but they can also learn stuff too. So my role at Hopster was mostly helping to develop the platform. Okay. So I was actually involved in like one of the... I guess the first major remake of the app, which itself was a massive undertaking. So we took what was the basic concept that was established when the company started up and we turned that into a whole new experience. So we put a lot of user experience work into that, user testing. Uh, we had a whole new art direction. We introduced all sorts of new um, new features for users to use. and. Um, and after we did that, we actually launched in the US just a couple of months later. Right. So um, it was a major, major app remake, effectively, um, which was just before um, launching in a new territory. So it's a very intense experience. Yeah. But I think what we managed to create was wonderful, and I'm still very proud of that today. Okay. Mate, it sounds like you've been killing it out there with all the, all the work you've been doing. So then you, you moved up to the older kids. That's so right. next step is like the teenage... True. The late team market. Yeah, and it kind of comes full circle. Um, it's quite interesting because when I when I first started in games, um, I worked for Jagex Game Studio. Okay. So um, I went right into the MMO <laughs> industry. Right. Um, which is quite kind of interesting because I wasn't hugely into MMOs at the time, um, but I had a great opportunity to have my first role in games. Mm. And Jagex is a studio who's got a fantastic reputation. They've been around for a very long time. And Runescapers got me you know, many many users who are really engaged with their product so working with that community was a fantastic experience okay. um and there i mean you had users which are fairly young i guess around i mean sort of 13 years old all the way up to adults who were quite experienced in life but they like to relax and kind of like um, immerse themselves in a in a big open world right um and then i moved moved into the AAA industry when i worked for sega so I was doing QA testing at Sega. Okay. Again, the games were definitely targeted at the old age group. Um, um, and they were console-based games. 
So um, it's kind of interesting. I've gone from that side of the business to more mobile focused okay. and now a bit more kids focused. Yeah. But I think there's so many different areas of games to explore. So yes. many things that we can we can do to improve user experience. Okay. And um, I think for me, the thing that's really rewarding about working in games is that you know that you're making a product for other people. Mm. People who like really love to you know, just have fun and relax and yeah. kind of like kind of like get themselves out of the the world which can be a bit hectic sometimes of course it's your, your kind of escapism that's it? true it's like films like anything like that you're just focused on that uh, that one thing when you get a good game you're just in it that's right um what uh, what was it like working at sega Enjoy. Um, Sega was quite an interesting experience compared to uh, many of the companies I've worked for. Um, there are lots of passionate people. Okay. It's a very, very big company. Yeah. Um, Sega has thousands of staff internationally, mm. and the department I worked in must have had um, a couple of hundred people going in and out at various times. And um, yeah, I mean, there are loads of people constantly testing different games, um, sending feedback to developers. And um, yeah, so it was a whole QA department where I worked. Okay. Yeah. QA in games. I don't know, I don't know if I fancy that. <laughs> it um, can, can be quite intense. Yeah. But also that, like, did it ruin your ability to enjoy games because you're constantly now looking for the technical errors? Yeah, I've, I've got to say to some extent it did. But I think to a greater extent it made me appreciate games more. Okay. I mean, I've always been into, like, the inner workings of games and the technology of games and having the opportunity to I guess study games from a QA perspective yes. um, has been a very you know, very interesting experience so kind of understanding what breaks a game um, understanding more about user experience and what yeah. users may may face thinking about also how do you make the highest quality products within the limited time frame you've got okay because that's something which I think a lot of people um, have difficulty like understanding from kind of like a consumer perspective um, because obviously you have to balance time and development budgets and release dates and so on so how can you make a product as high quality as possible with the most minimal bugs yeah um, but also kind of like are there any areas that you can compromise on without actually affecting the user experience yeah yeah uh, and affecting the game feel because like, I spoke to Aubrey Hesselgren I don't know if you know him um, one of my other podcast people, but he focuses on that game feel aspect. Yeah. And there is that balance between having to cut off and say, okay, we can't spend any more time on this. That's anymore. right. Um, but as a QA, that wouldn't necessarily be your call. You're reporting the bugs. True, that's right. But um, it's definitely your job to give developers that insight because, yeah. I mean, developers obviously are very focused on, um, well, whichever field of development you're in, whether it's the um, the 3D modeling and art side of it, or whether it's the programming side, you're focusing on that particular area and you're building and you're kind of putting all your time, your effort, your ingenuity into doing that. Yes. And it's difficult to also ask of a developer to, you know, test every single possible of course. outcome. So, and you can't be objective because it's your work as well. That's right. It's much more difficult. You need someone else and their brain testing it from a completely different angle. That's right. And even roles um, like where I've worked as a producer on a game, um, it's definitely great to have another pair of eyes to look at your products, you know, mm. just to kind of see things in a way that you might not have seen them. And that collaboration is definitely crucial. Yes. Yeah. No, that's cool. Um, so, you know, you, obviously you're, you're, you're doing very well in what your, your area is and you've worked your way through that. And then um, on the other side of things, you're, you're at Bain. That's right. Um, so 
is vice chair chairman. Is that That's right? right? Yeah. So what 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 is your what are your responsibilities then as as that? So I'm, I was one of the, I guess, founding members of the organisation. Oh, um, really? Yes, that's right. How, how, how old is Bame? So Bame is two years in total. Bame, um, this is Bame for games. Yeah, that's right. Because there's Bame in film as well. That's right. So Bame in games, um, two years in total. Um, it's been quite a long time in soft launch as we're trying to understand exactly what to do with ourselves and how to, mm. um, I guess, get the best out of the organisation. Yeah. Um, and we kind of had a little bit of a relaunch this year. So we kicked off with um, a few event appearances where we actually appeared officially as Baming Games. Yeah. Um, so appearing on panels, we had speakers doing various things. Um, we started a monthly beat-up, which has been massive, which has been really successful. Okay. Um, so we're moving around to different venues um, across London and yeah. um, inspiring people to come along and connect. Um, show those hidden faces that don't usually get to see each other within the games industry. Okay, yeah, yeah. But uh, my role's a mixture of things. Um, so I work on, I guess, finding new ways that we can promote the, the Baming Games initiative. So whether that's through social media, through organisations we can partner with. Um, I help to run the meetup with Jade. Yeah. Um, sometimes I make event appearances myself. Um, so I do various things here and there, and now I'm starting to think a lot about what our future strategy might be. Yeah. So how we can really start affecting change in specific areas um, okay. of the Baming Games kind of um, cause. Oh right. Okay. So um, I mean, the thing is, I I watched a, a like a, a trailer video for a, a game the other day, and it ends showing people playing that game at different right. shows, and. It's basically all white people. It was really hard for the the, the person to to get the footage of like more ethnic and yes. even in Birmingham, where you would expect, yeah. you know, wow, there should be a good bunch of brown people here yeah. at these shows. But it is it's very it's middle class white dominated industry. What, why is that still? I, I don't understand it because I've always played games since I was a kid. Yeah, um, and I, I'm you know my cousins have all the rest of them, but they just doesn't seem to be that mix. What? It can't be any particular... That's true. I think there isn't... I don't think you can find one specific reason, mm. but I think part of it is history. And the games industry itself is quite young. Um, okay. I know that... I think that we've been saying the games industry young for like decades now, but still compared to other okay. fields such as film or TV or radio, right. it hasn't been around that long. Okay. Um, when you look at the, I guess, the origins of games, um, they were made in, I guess... Um, quite homogenous environments. So obviously you had the West, the US, um, US and European development studios, Japanese game, game development studios. So it's almost not a surprise mm -hmm. that it starts off very dominated by one sp like specific demographic. Yeah. Um, and as time has gone along, I think if you think about various things such as hiring practices, so games industry is traditionally an industry where a lot of people hire other people they know. Yeah. And the majority of people you know are most likely to be people who look like you, okay. who sound like you, maybe go to the same areas. Yeah. So there's kind of like knowing people within the industry factor. Yeah. Um, at the other end, sometimes it's things such as education or kind of like the opportunities you have in life. Mm. So if you come from a, um, I guess, a lower economic class, which does disproportionately affect um, ethnic minorities, mm. for example, you may not have as much access to whether it's industry or if it's to um, certain forms of education. 
So um, yeah, there are various factors at play. Yeah. So so what so um, do you have like a, a plan, like a twelve month plan of I don't know um, promoting it in a certain way, or what what are you, kind of the, the active steps? And so, and also so far, have you been able to measure? kind of the success of the things that you've done so far? So in terms of our actual plan, so we're actually working on a wider plan at the moment. So mm. we don't have like an established roadmap for what we're trying to do, but we're trying to take a, I guess, a multifaceted approach. One of those things is engaging with educational institutions. So inspiring students and young people to get into the industry, talking to people of BAME demographic who are actually studying now and may not think that games is a place they can actually work. So start with the students. Mm. We're engaging with existing game studios um, and the industry as it is has a very low representation of ethnic minority people. So through initiatives such as our meetups, we can actually connect industry with those BAME practitioners and those BAME students so they can come together and they can come more immersed in the industry. So I think boosting the visibility of BAME people in games Mm. And being people that could work in games is one of the big first steps that we want to do. Okay. Um, and I mean, if people want to kind of, do you have, uh, I know you've got like ambassadors and stuff like that, mm -hmm. but do you, do you, basically anyone can maybe sign up for BAME or get involved and, and That's start true. promoting in there? Absolutely. So, I mean, one of the first places you can find out information is BAMINGAMES.org. Oh, right, yeah. Um, and we're hoping to have a bit of a site relaunch in the near future. So okay. um, that'd be great for us. Um, we can be found at Baming Games on Twitter. Yeah. Um, as I mentioned, we have a regular monthly meetup, yeah. which so far is around fifty people attending, and growing. Okay. Um, so that's on, London. That's it? right. Okay. So our meetup dot com at Baming Games, yeah. um, and our next meetup is actually this Tuesday. Okay. So we're going to be at Pearson College in Hoban. Yeah. And um, we're hoping to have a, a nice um, set of people, diverse people, coming along. Oh right. That's that's is that in the evening? I take it. That's right. Yes. Oh, I'll try and see so it's um, six to nine. Okay. I mean, if, unfortunately, the podcast won't be out by then because <laughs> I only release them once a week on a That's Friday right. lunchtime. Um, but at um, least for the future, but yes. But yeah, definitely. I mean, we're talking to various partners. So we're talking to game studios, um, some very well-known game studios about hosting our event. I okay. won't mention now, okay, just because you know cool. it's in progress plans. Yeah, yeah. Um, we're talking to larger companies too. So, um, you know, companies who, well, internet companies yeah. um, who may be interested in actually furthering the BAME initiative and okay. who may be doing stuff themselves, which we can actually tie into. Okay. So we do have a lot of support out there. Um, we've got many, many allies in the industry. Do you bear this stuff in mind when you're like bringing games onto the, the Azumi platform in any way? Or do you, do you not mix? Not well, mix? I mean, when we're looking at games, we want to look at... A diverse set of games for all of our audience to enjoy. Mm. Um, I mean, probably the main focus when I'm looking for games is games which are not overtly violent. Yeah. Um, they're not like showing harmful stereotypes, okay. which obviously um, relates to gender, um, sexuality, yeah. or ethnic minority representation. Um, but just generally speaking, I try to bring on games which will work for all sorts of people, um, all mm. sorts of kids, and. You know, I'm I'm never afraid to look into like different countries from across the world to get our content because it'd be very easy to just go, okay, I'm just going to look for UK-based games developers or just US-based game developers. Yeah. But there's such a diversity of games developers out there who want to tell their stories and they have their perspectives. So, I think that's a good way to bring diversity into a platform like Azumi. How 
I, I mean, um, have you, you can't have come across any games that are like, have, especially in this category, that have been harmful or had these kind of... Well, <laughs> I mean, you may be surprised. So, I mean, so if you think about our kind of like type of game, it's a casual game. Yeah. And casual games are available for multiple sources. So you have apps like Azumi, mm. um, you have various games websites, which have hundreds of millions of users. Mm. And unfortunately, if you go onto one of these websites, you will often find very unusual content. Right. So some content which is, well, which you would think is inappropriate for kids. Yeah. And I think you'd think it's a bit of a surprise that you'd find that content on, on these websites, which are directed towards kids. Right, yeah. But I guess there isn't really any strong leg legislation around that. But, so. but it's more a case of, I mean, I, this yeah. is just my perception, is that, um, and from having that experience of working within the IT industry for, mm -hmm. for many years, developers are generally quite intelligent people. Sure. Um, they're not particularly sort of right-wing people generally and, and they're not looking to cause that kind of um i suppose attention mm -hmm. of creating something yeah. like that so that's i would find that really surprising it must be it's obviously the minority i guess so but i guess there are people out there that like to make i mean whether we agree with them or not a variety of different games there are okay. a lot of violent games in our industry yeah, which yeah we have sure. to admit um I do think, obviously, there are guidelines around that, such as PEGI ratings. Yeah. Unfortunately, when it comes to an internet perspective, there aren't always those kind of guidelines and those uh, barriers and the walls to protect kids. So okay, yeah. they can come across all sorts of content. Right. Um, you know, it'd be very easy to find games which are published on kids' sites, um, you know, that could be put on our platform, but it's something that we'd never do. We always curate our content course, to make sure yeah. that it's appropriate. Hey, you're the game acquisition manager. Exactly. Top man. No one's, no one's getting past <laughs> you. <laughs> What's your, where, what is your ethnic background, by the way? So I'm Jamaican background. Ah, yeah. right. So um, I was born in lovely Bromley. Okay. <laughs> and um, yeah, my grandparents actually of the Windrush generation. So okay. that's my background. Ah, right. Because I, I don't think I've met anyone Jamaican in the games industry at all. I think you might be a... A little bit unique. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, in the UK games industry, we are, I guess, around 4%. Um, okay. When I say 4%, that's every ethnic minority background. Right, um, so when you say we, together. you mean everyone, yeah. Exactly. Any, any, any Anyone black, Asian or minority ethnic. Yeah. So if you actually look at black African or black Afro-Caribbean yes. backgrounds, that would be even less. Um, we'll be looking into one percent or less mm. so um because everyone would be like even like pakistani asian would be one percent yeah that. that's right yeah which is quite interesting um i mean obviously in terms of seeing visible faces like mine you won't see as many in this games industry no. <laughs> um but i guess if you look at some other industries such as the usa yes um there's definitely i guess i think they've got a bit more established kind of like um blacks in games type um like groups and um, initiatives and um, campaigns over there. Okay. So the black representation is a lot bigger in the US games industry. Um, there are also other, I guess there are other kind of ethnic minority dynamics in the in the US games industry too. So, um, so yeah, it's a little bit different over there mm. compared to here. Okay. But, um, but it's yeah. a bigger market and it's been going longer. That's right, there. that's true, yeah. So they're more established. Yeah. I mean, here, we had games from the early 80s, True. but it's only began to take off sort of when PlayStation, I think that was the first big leap. Yeah. Or even maybe and before that, actually, the Sega 
Sega stuff? I mean, I, I think in the UK, we've definitely had more explosive industry growth, um, even in the last 10 years than we probably have ever before. Right, um, yeah. 2017 was by far the biggest year in the UK games industry. And mm. when you look at the sheer numbers of, you know, the revenues, the amounts of games which are sold, even the amount of developers that are now in the UK, it's quite unbelievable. Certainly there weren't as many shows. Um, I just remember the, there used to be the Earl's Court one. That was the main right. one. And then uh, and then all of a sudden, in the last few years, I started noticing a lot more. You've got the EGXs, all these all That's these right. of shows. So yeah, like you yeah. said, in the last 10 years, relatively recent. Definitely, yeah. I mean, so um, you know of Yuki. Yes. Um, yeah, and they, they do a great job of bringing together loads of stats about the industry. Okay. Um, and they've stated that there are over 2,000 games developers in the UK. Okay. But 60% of those have been established since 2010. Uh, so that's, right. that's quite incredible when you think about it. Okay. 60% of, of the 2,000 developers yeah. have been established since 2010. Yeah. If so I remember correctly. So, yeah, I mean... So almost half... Change. It's almost doubled since 2010 right. in the yeah. last eight years. And I think platforms you know, like um, you know, iPhone and um, you know, Android OS, I think... That's been a big, a big change yeah. in the industry. So suddenly you've got platforms that have many more millions of, of potential players than our traditional consoles had. Mm. Um, and we also have so many different um, game middlewares and engine technologies such as Unity, Unreal Engine. Um, all of these tools make it very easy for indie developers to just get in there and create. Even ones which don't have you know, the most advanced coding skills can actually find ways to create content themselves. Right, and right. Um, I think that's definitely led to a big explosion in the amount of developers we've got. Right, right, okay. And then uh, the 4% hopefully will look to get that. Hopefully. And I, I do think that having kind of like more platforms, yes. um, having a greater range of like educational initiatives to get people into games, um, not just in, say, a few specific universities, but across, across the UK, from colleges to uni, uh, will help people get into games. Then you've got the engine middleware, which will also give more people an opportunity to make games. Mm. So I think when you increase the opportunities um, from a platform perspective, from a technology perspective, and from an educational perspective, hopefully we'll start to see those numbers rising. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Well, mate, look, um, I really appreciate you talking to me. Um, how, what's the best way to get in contact with you for, firstly, for the Azumi platform? Mm -hmm. um, how, how do you get submissions for that normally? So, I mean, one of the best ways is to either contact hello at azumi.com okay. or adam at azumi.com, which is me. Yeah. Um, so, if you're a games developer out there and you've got um, a great HTML5 game, then you know, please do contact us. That's great. That's great. And then with Bane, um, what's the best way to get hold of you? Then? So, um, at Bane Games on Twitter. Okay. We've also got a Facebook group. So, if you just search for Bane Games, right. we're on Meetup. Uh, we're on LinkedIn. Yeah. So, um, yeah, just search for Baming Games and you'll find us. You're very, very accessible. That's, we are. That's a, that's a great thing. With, with both with the Azumi and the Ifu developer and the, and the Bane stuff. Well, mate, best of luck with it all. Um, thanks for coming down. Thank Podcast you very much. Handshake. It's a pleasure. And, uh, um, yeah, best of luck with all of it in the future. Thank you. Cheers. So, again, that was uh, Adam Campbell. Uh, you can get his contact details off the... Uh, iTunes or the SoundCloud page. I'll put them on there. Uh, I have another one for you next week. Um, should be a bit more frequent now. I, I was away for the Edinburgh Festival doing my stand-up show. 
So if you would like to come on the podcast because you've got stuff you want to talk about to do with games, then please do get in contact. You can find me via my website, fatcomedian.com, and I will see you next week. Bye.